This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. I'll tell you one crazy, crazy night. I was at the mayor's house one night late. And we... Where was this now? At Power Street. Okay. We were at Power Street late. This is Mike Fiella. Back in 1991, he'd recently graduated from Brown, and he got a job, working alongside a bunch of other young people. For someone you might remember, Buddy Cianci. And we're sitting in the dark. Everyone's left, and we're young, and we're hammered. It's like 2 o'clock in the morning, and the mayor's at the, at the uh, fireplace. And he's like, he's doing the logs, he's moving the logs around. And he's like, see this here, boss? And we all look at him, you know, he's like, this is where I beat the shit out of that cocksucker right here. Cianci beat DeLeo, threatened to have him shot, threw liquor on him, burned him with a cigarette, and threatened to sue him for alienation of affection unless DeLeo paid Cianci half a million dollars. And he's like, you know, I changed a lot of things in my life, you know, it was a, it was a crazy, you know, it was a crazy event. He's like, but that prick, that's where he got it right here, right here. And I'm sitting there with this dude just like, Oh shit, are you hearing this? Like, oh my God. Like, it wasn't a secret that it had happened. It wasn't like I was hearing a secret. But watching him brood over it and brood over it with a combination of shame and pride. I don't want to lose my temper. I don't often lose my head, but that was one night I did. Kidnapping, assault with a dangerous weapon, uh, extortion. Uh, I mean, fuck, man, I look like Jack the Ripper. I look like a one-man crime wave, man. (laughs) When we last left Buddy Cianci, he was run out of office after kidnapping and torturing a man. He was a convicted felon. His career, over. His grand political ambitions, dashed. How could anyone come back from something like that? Today's episode, we'll find out. It's the return of Buddy Cianci. I'm Mark Smerling. I'm Zach Stewart-Pontier. Welcome to Crime Town. said you were fucking my wife and you thought you were a big man, didn't you? And my blood started to go up higher. I struck him. There were many strikes. Buddy was talented, was smart, and possessive. The city of Providence was his mistress, you know? Good evening. A statewide grand jury has indicted Providence Mayor Vincent Cianci on charges including extortion, kidnapping, and assault. 
I respectfully submit my resignation as mayor of the city of Providence to become effective on April 25th, 1984. I say to everyone, farewell, thank you, and good night. After he was forced from office in 1984, Buddy Cianci got a new job on the radio. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Buddy Cianci and about to embark upon a new career. I see our phone has lit up. By 1990, Buddy had one of the most popular radio shows in Rhode Island. By the time you vote, the cat is going to be out of the bag, the horse is out of the barn, and the girlfriend married somebody else. I got to go. Okay. Take care. <laughs> All right. Now it's, uh, it's time to do what, John? A little traffic. Is that kid Conti coming? He's a good kid. But for him, it wasn't enough. Here he is out to dinner with the co-author of his autobiography. So I'm on the radio making some money, living the high life. I've got a boat, I've got a 52-foot yacht, I've got a uh, beautiful house, I've got a Mercedes convertible, I've got money in the bank, I'm doing fine, I own buildings, I own a restaurant, I own all kinds of things. Um, But I always had this burning desire to run for mayor again because I didn't like the way I left. Because I was unceremoniously asked to leave City Hall. Buddy Cianci announced that he would attempt the impossible. Running as an independent candidate, he began his fourth campaign for mayor of Providence. If you think it's crazy for a convicted felon to attempt a comeback like this, well, a lot of people in Providence would agree with you. The uh, big billboard that I see on the highway, it says, Cianci, he never stopped caring about Providence. Uh, could you uh, look into camera three over there and tell the uh, people of Providence, uh, were you caring about Providence when you used a fireplace log, an ashtray, that's and a lighted not, cigarette that's, to assault uh, Mr. DeLeo? Um, yes. So first of all, I never used a fireplace log, but you know something? Uh, I think the people of Providence uh, want to know about the future. I've paid a very public and a very private price uh, for my indiscretion and mistake. I've apologized for that mistake. And I want to look at my life from a perspective of the future, because I think I have something to contribute and something to do. But this image of a violent Buddy torturing someone with a lit cigarette, it wasn't going away on its own. Buddy needed a new image. And one day, in the middle of the campaign, an opportunity presented itself. Can you read that headline? Yeah, it says, campaign billboard defaced. A sign promoting the candidacy of former Mayor Vincent A. Buddy Cianci bears the mark of vandals yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) This is Shepard Ferry, a well-known street artist. Back in 1990, he was a student at the Rhode Island School of Design in Providence. I had noticed this Cianci billboard at the corner of Waterman and South Main. And so Cianci's billboard said... Buddy Cianci, he never stopped caring about Providence. And I was like, what does that mean? And I thought, this is such a stupid billboard. It's pretty easy to get to. It had a ladder that you could get to easily. I'm just going to change that into an Andre billboard. Andre, as in Andre the Giant, a professional wrestler. 
In Shepard's artwork, he'd been using Andre as a kind of symbol of rebellion. So one night, Shepard snuck out to paste Andre's face over Buddy's on the billboard. That's a very busy intersection in Providence. So I did it late at night. I had a friend who was a lookout. But the adrenaline rush of, you know, getting up there, putting the, you know, the roller out on the billboard with the glue. And while I was doing it, you know, I got the whistle and sure enough, a cop went by, ducked down. They didn't see. It was the largest thing I'd ever done. Shepard stood back and admired his handiwork. Andre the Giant's face now glared out over College Hill. And Buddy's slogan had become, Andre never stopped caring about Providence. Immediately, the Providence police started asking around at the school about the billboard. And in my portfolio, of course, like an idiot, I had sheets of uncut Andre stickers. The police were like, well, you know, it's up to Cianci whether he's gonna press charges and we've arranged for you to have a meeting with Buddy. I was nervous. I mean, you never know how that sort of thing is gonna go. So I just skateboarded over to his house. I knocked on the door, a couple of guys, uh, you know, sort of beefy Guido henchman guys, opened the door and uh, said, come on in. As Shepard walked in, he thought he was about to be berated, yelled at, possibly even arrested. But when he met Buddy, he was surprised to find the former mayor in a great mood. And Cianci's cracking jokes, he says, you know, we need to do something about this. Maybe some community service project. And I realized this is excellent image rehabilitation that he's doing right now. He has a reputation as a hothead who flies off the handle first. But in this situation where he's been slighted and everyone would expect him to fly off the handle, he's doing something that's merciful and positive for the community. Shortly after, there was an article in the paper that said, Vincent Buddy Cianci decides not to interrupt the education of RISD student, but to find a more constructive way for him to put his creative talents to use. The billboard did not hurt Cianci. It may have, in fact, helped him. Buddy was trying to change his image, to be a contrite, apologetic guy who'd made a mistake and just wanted to move on. And for every voter in Providence who thought of him as dangerous or brutal, there was another voter who remembered him as the mayor who fixed a pothole or a street lamp, who came to a high school graduation, or a Little League game. It would be the beginning of Little League season, right? This is Paul Campbell. He worked on many of Buddy's campaigns over the years. He would spend the entire weekend going to the Little League, uh, the games, with a photographer, and he would take several thousand photos and he would send them out to the parents. 
when you're looking on that fireplace mantle every night and you see, you know, Buddy Cianci with your kid, you know, it makes you think. Hey, Jimmy, how are you? Nice to see you. How are you, nice Jim? Marilyn, you, how are you? Had a tremendous memory. You know, he could walk up to a voter and know them, their parents, whether they had any problems, whether he helped them. How are you? How are you? Good, nice to see you. Thank you. You tell Uncle Ray I said hello. Send me the checks, tell him. The combinations of skills that he had, he was also, he could be a stand-up comic. His quick uh, one-liners were, were, just, were just amazing. When I go to see my relatives in Italy, I know I'm in the right town because everybody looks like my aunt. <laughs> It was uh, quite an amazing thing to see. But even with all his skills as a politician, it would still be tough for Buddy to win. He was in a tight three-way race, up against a waspy insider named Fred Lippett and a young Italian businessman named Andrew Analdo. Again, here's Buddy with the co-author of his autobiography. Now, I'm looking at my fucking polls. We're running about two points apart from everybody. One guy's like 31, another guy's like 32, another guy's 28. I might have been to 28. Buddy needed a break, and he got it in one of the final debates. And so this moderator of the debate says, uh, yesterday afternoon, the Bishop of Providence said that anybody who's not pro-life should not be supported by Catholics, <laughs> right? <laughs> by the luck of the draw, they go to this guy, the waspy guy, you know, the, the, the rich guy. He says, I'm pro-choice, and, you know, and I'm running against the Italian kid. He says, I've always said, even though I'm Catholic, that a woman has a right to choose. I started opening. And the opening was, in a close race like that, I knew that there were pro-life zealots out there. So I said, uh, let me understand something here. Mr. Lippert says he's pro-choice. Mr. Ronaldo, he says he's pro-choice. Is that, is that what you guys are? I'm pro-life. <laughs> give a fuck, I'm a pro. I'm pro-life. Have pro you been pro-life before? Or just that wasn't anything. <laughs> so, That's how politics works. Yeah. Yeah, everything is fair and love and war, man. I mean... Buddy's sudden come-to-Jesus moment helped him change his image once more and pushed him over the edge. I won the election by 329 votes. We are going back to City Hall! get up in front of thousands of people who were there, and I, I opened the speech by saying, as I was saying before I was so rudely interrupted. <laughs> people look from the outside and say, what's the matter with Rhode Island? They elected a guy that assaulted his ex-wife's boyfriend with a fireplace log and a lit cigarette how could they re-elect somebody like that and it does sound crazy from the outside but from the inside you just see that american phenomena of voters any voters being drawn toward flamboyance if they like you they'll forgive a lot of things but he was ready to make providence great again that's 
after the break. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. My name is Mike Fiella, and I work for, as a staff writer for Mayor Santi. This is a video made in 1991, featuring interviews with Buddy's new staff. A young guy named Mike Fiella is sitting in his cubicle at City Hall, wearing big, thick glasses and a striped purple shirt. Um, and uh, the mayor is one of those guys who's a 17-hour, 18-hour-a-day worker, and uh, we sort of race to keep up with him, um, and uh, he's a real inspiration. Going into this whole thing, I was remarkably naive. Mike Fiella is the guy you heard at the very top of the show, whose first job out of college was as a staff writer for Mayor Buddy Cianci. So first day, you're walking in, what was that like? First day, they got me a desk sitting next to his chief of security, who was six foot two, probably 300 pounds. So here I am sitting next to him, you know, just like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> you know, it's like, how's it going? Yeah, this is really great. Mayor's doing great stuff for the city, you know? And I'm writing like low consequence shit, you know? I'm writing to people like, we were really happy to be able to take care of your street lamp or your the, the sidewalk floor, da-da-da-da, you know, and sorry about that, and blah, 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 blah. It wasn't long before Mike noticed three flags on Buddy's secretary's desk. And I was like, what do those three flags mean? They were green, yellow, and red. She goes, green, he's in a great mood, so no worries about going in. Yellow could go either way. Red, stay the fuck away from him. It's, you know, you could hear, sometimes you'd be in the outer office and you'd hear him yelling, you know, and getting upset. And then, and then the fly, you'd see Carol change the flag. And just be like, boop, we're in red. We're in the red zone, everybody. We're in the red zone. But Buddy took a shine to Mike. You know, we got along really well. Um, we have similar build, similar... Uh, level of articulateness, I guess is maybe a word. He loved my writing, you know, and we really, great boost for me. And being close to Buddy had some benefits. I started going out with the guys, right? You know, people did treat me differently. You know, it was very rare that I ever had to pay for a drink. You know, you'd see rounds of drinks come by and food come by and be like, oh, no one ordered those. What are those doing? You know, for me, I felt like, wow, like, this is, I've never rolled with guys like this. He didn't treat you just like he was your employer. He treated you like, you know, that you were all part of a very close-knit team, you know, and that's an exciting thing for a young guy. Sometimes by last call, Mike would find himself alone in a booth with Buddy. You know, I mean, I've definitely, I've closed bars with Buddy, and it's an interesting thing, you know, towards the end of the night, the mood can get a little dark and can get a little self-reflective. There was not a lack of awareness of his demons or his conflicts or what was great about him or what was not so great about him. He wore those things and wrestled with those things pretty openly. But the next morning, boom, he's there in the office, springing up, 
crisp, clean, the polo cologne. He always wore polo cologne. You know, you could smell it coming up the, uh, the back stairs. And then, yeah, and you always knew he would come in and you'd hear the big doors hit. The bottom door would shut. You'd be like, oh, Mayor's here. You're like, I don't understand how you look normal. Now, normal, relative. There was the makeup, first of all. There was the wig. The toupee is such a quintessential thing about Buddy. Yeah. I mean, people aren't dumb. You see pictures of him in 1973, he's got a head like Baby Huey. You see him in 1980, and he's got a head like Ron Reagan. So you're like, people weren't stupid, but they didn't give a fuck, and he knew they didn't give a fuck. And it humanized him. Look at this guy, he's embracing his vanity. He doesn't care. I mean, Buddy had his brand buttoned up, which was this combination of like underdog, but also champion, hyper-intelligent, but also dangerous. And that brand was very, very seductive and super effective. If the new Buddy was good at anything, it was branding. And he used those skills to promote Providence. But I always felt you had to have, you had to brand the city, to see you brand the city. And every time there was something to be named in the city, or we did something, I always said, it's got to be named after Providence or we're not going to support it. The Performing Arts Center, we gave them all that money. It was the Ocean State Theater. I said, the state doesn't give you a dime. So I'm on the board. I said, I'm not giving you the last 300 grand for the seats unless you name it Providence Performing Arts Center. Done, right? You want to brand the city? They're going to call it Capital City Mall. I said, no, no, no Capital City Mall. Providence Place Mall. The Festival Ballet, that's a Providence Ballet. The Opera, Providence Opera. Under Buddy's watch, a lot started happening in Providence. The railroad tracks that crossed the city were torn up, uncovering Providence's long-buried river. Development money was funneled to the downtown. Nightlife blossomed and the city's biggest cheerleader was Buddy. Just think what we have, Performing Arts Center that's uh, one of the 20 best in America, our Tony Award-winning Repertory Theater, Trinity, the best restaurants, Convention Center, new hotels going up, we're the only city building museums, a major arts district, all those things have lifted our self-esteem to, to great levels of achievement. They called it the Providence Renaissance. Move over, Boston. The city of Providence is moving up in the world. The capital city was recognized in USA Today as a renaissance city. What the people of the city, particularly this mayor, has done to rebuild this and to bring life to the city is fantastic. This city was considered a, uh, a splotch on the road to the Cape Cod several years ago. Not anymore. It's a destination place. He was filled with all the confidence and the energy and the charisma that for a man who's, who's been vindicated, you know? Uh, and he knew it. This was a victory lap. Again, Buddy's former staff writer, Mike Fiella. He's doing all this shit, he's crushing it. People are loving him and he's the champion again. So he's crushing it and he has the hubris of a guy who's crushing it like that. They, did they, any of anybody tell you about the shutting down of Amsterdam's? Do you remember hearing about that? No, tell me about that. Oh, that's interesting, actually. Um, so, Buddy went out one night to down to Amsterdam's. It was kind of like a club and, uh, and a restaurant. 
and they had a doorman there who didn't recognize him. New kid, obviously was not from Providence. Didn't know who Buddy was, so he wouldn't let him in. And he said he wanted to charge him a cover. And, uh, and Buddy was like, you know, I'm the mayor of Providence. Like, I'm, the, I'm your mayor. You want me to pay a cover? He said, okay, hang on a second. Out come the brick phone, and they were in those days, big ass brick phones. He uh, makes a call. And the next thing you know, five fire trucks pull up in front of Amsterdam's. I think there's a code violation. I think there's maybe 50, 50 or 60 too many people in this place. I think we probably better shut it down. Within a half an hour, the place was empty, shut down, closed. The next day, I'm out in the main office. Who comes in? The owner of Amsterdam's. And he was such a hot shit when he was at his restaurant. And he was not that man at that moment. When he went into Buddy, Buddy made him get on his knees and beg for his license back. And, you know, that was, that's just, that was it. That was the way that worked. And he got his license back after he paid a very, very healthy fine. And Lord knows what else. And, you know, a week later, it was up and running. But nothing like a week of uh, having your restaurant closed to just remind you who the fuck is running this town. Of course you use your influences, man. That's what the people left to you. Here's Buddy, out to dinner with the co-author of his autobiography, talking about how he occasionally used his influence as mayor to punish people. So when you send the inspectors in, you say like that. Yep. Who do you call? I mean, you, I mean, you, you don't. They call the director of building inspections. And what do you say to him? I have complaints that this building is not up to snuff. And well, he, look at it. And he understands what you're saying. He, he doesn't say. No, he's a uh, well. Sometimes you could you tell me you want an expected result. <laughs> you do say that. That's sure. blatantly. Sure. Um, How's that fish? You don't understand. Nobody talks like this. Yeah. Nobody explains how it really works yeah. or admits it like that. You know, I'm not there to play to see who's going to win, win the game when you're playing on my court and my field and I own the referees. <laughs> you know, I mean, you ain't going to beat me. <laughs> Towards the end of his time working in City Hall, Mike Fiella was completely inside Buddy's world. One night, he found himself back at Power Street with the mayor. We're there, and we've been drinking. And <laughs> first he sends the cop, go down to Haven Brothers and get some burgers. So they sent the cop down to Haven Brothers, and the cops hated that shit. They're like, you're fucking kidding me. Like, what? Go get burgers? Okay. So he went down to go get burgers. And we're like, right on, there's, gonna, there's some burgers, right? No, that's not what the burgers were for. His two Cocker Spaniels, matching pedigree Cocker Spaniels, come out. And they're like <laughs> perfectly groomed dogs. And he just stands there and he's reaching into a bag of hamburgers and just dropping the burger meat onto the ground. And the dogs would, he would just laugh. Thank you. 
he'd be like, you see that, boss? Look at that. Look at that little fucking guy. Da, 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 da. You know, look at them. They love it. They love it. They love it. All right, out of there. And it was like, this is Shakespeare. Like, this is crazy. This is just King Lear. He knew full well what that moment meant, what it said to everyone else in the room, what it said to that cop, what it said to those dogs. He knew. And I have to say, I was impressed. And that's why I was able to continue on for so many years and change the face of the city because I didn't give a fuck. Because they were all afraid of me. Buddy had returned to the mayor's office with the promise that he was a changed man. But as the years went by, it was clear that the old Buddy was back. Year one was best behavior time. 91, the, the, the decree down was don't fucking do anything. Year two, things were great. Our approval ratings were through the roof. The city was coming back. Year three was getting a little bit like, and again, and I'm not saying, believe me, I would tell you anything because there's nothing they could do to me now. But, um, but you just could see that the seams were starting to burst. And I also had a feeling like these guys are going to get in trouble. Catch up with Mayor Buddy Cianci in future episodes. But next time on Crime Town, Charles the Ghost Kennedy's drug smuggling empire falls apart, and he loses everything and everybody. When the doorbell rings, it's not good, because it isn't friendly. It says to me, don't you move, you motherfucker, don't fucking move. Get your fucking hands up. Crime Town is me, Zach Stewart-Pontier, and Mark Smerling. We're produced by Drew Nellis, Austin Mitchell, Caitlin Roberts, and Mike Plunkett. Our associate producer is Laura Sim. We're edited by Alex Bloomberg and Caitlin Kenny. Fact-checking by Mick Rouse. This episode of Crime Town was mixed, sound designed, and scored by Matthew Boll. Additional mixing by Enoch Kim and Martin Peralta. Our title track is Run to Your Mama by Goat. The credit music this week is Black Jay's Air Day by James Swanberg. Original music by John Cusiak, John Ivins, Edwin, and Beanart. Our ad music is by Matthew Boll. Our digital editor is Rob Zipko. Our design director is Ale Lariu. Alex Bloomberg is the podfather. We're in the red zone, everybody. We're in the red zone. This season of Crime Town is dedicated to the memory of Bill Malinowski. Thanks to Brad Turquetta and the Ciancia Estate, The Providence Journal, Julia Haymans, Emily Wiedemann, Victoria Yarnish, Yuya Kudo, Lisa Newby, Mike Stanton, check out his book, The Prince of Providence, Kate Wells, David Fisher, Mary Murphy, Dan Barry, and everybody who shared their stories with us. For a full list of credits, bonus content, and to sign up for our brand new newsletter, visit our website at crimetownshow.com. 
You can find us on Twitter at Crimetown and on Facebook and Instagram at Crimetown Show. And if you're enjoying Crimetown, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps others find out about the show. Thanks. Providence is a special place, and we're honored to tell a part of its story. And until you've seen the wigs in their entirety off the head, it is amazing. In the amour, in the bedroom, and you would open it up, and on three styrofoam heads were the wigs. Uh, on the left was Summer, the shortcut. In the middle was Year Rounder, the interim between haircuts cut. And then on the right was the Winter the longest cut. So he was always covered. And they were really expensive, all human hair, you know? Well, the first time I saw that, I nearly shit my pants. I mean, it was insane. I opened it up and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, are you kidding me? This is perfect.